Happy New Year and welcome to Watershed's first podcast of 2019, where we're going to look at January and the months ahead and the things that we're most excited about. I'm Tara Judah, the cinema producer, and I'm joined as always by... Mark Cosgrove, cinema curator at Watershed. And Mark, what's the first film that you're excited about this year? Well, it's actually on in the cinemas just now, and it's Yorgos Lathimos, um, the favourite, uh, which hopefully audiences um, are, are catching. And this year's really, for me, hit the ground running with this film. A, a fantastic trio of Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone... And Rachel, Rachel Weisz. And Rachel Weisz. And just sort of scabrous, witty, um, period drama. You know, Yorgos Lathimos is just one of the most exciting filmmakers, I think. You just, you, you know, you've seen when he started off with the Greek weird wave, as, as was described, and then films like The Lobster, Killing of a Sacred Deer, and you think, where, where, this is a kind of surreal, dark world. Where is his next film going to go? Um, and what he's done is uh, upended the costume drama. Um, given three women um, fantastic sparring roles, um, really edgy film, and I thought, what a brilliant start to 2019 in cinema. Yeah, I totally agree. In fact, the thing I'm most excited about this film is the roles for the actresses. I think that all three of them are superb. It brings out the best of all three actresses and they're all very talented. Olivia Coleman is just absolutely incredible in her role. And he really has like written and given, you know, he's given great space to them to perform in this film. Also, I mean, I was really pleased because I didn't actually like The Killing of a Sacred Deer, his previous film. Yeah. I really liked Dogtooth. I really, I really liked The Lobster, but I found Killing of a Sacred Deer a little bit mean spirited. Um, and where I was a little bit, I suppose, a tiny bit of trepidation about going into this one, like what would be his next move. And it is a more mainstream move in that it is into a kind of genre cinema, but he still is playing with form. He's still absolutely playing with the kind of tropes of the genre. Um, and it's riotous good fun. And it's, and it's very modern as well. I mean, a period drama, but actually it feels very modern. And a shout out to the cinematography. Robbie Ryan's done the cinematography on this. Great cinematographer, um, you know, worked with uh, Andrew, he's worked with Andre Arnold, is just fantastic, really, and it's really distinctive visual style. So, uh, a, a great start to the year all round. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, January is packed with tons more good films to look forward to. The next one that I can't wait for us to um, get stuck into is actually a film that comes out of Australia, The Island of Hungry Ghosts. Uh, it's a small film, it's a documentary that I saw at festivals last year and we're really lucky that we're going to be joined by the filmmaker and the star of the film, Gabrielle Brady and Pauline, uh, who are going to talk in a Q&A after a screening uh, January 16th. We get to kind of dig into and discuss some of the issues which I think people will really want to do with this film. Um, so it's about, obviously it's you know very resonant for me having grown up in Australia mm. um, and having lived there as in part of my adult life, that it's about the uh, contemporary situation to do with refugees trying to come to Australia and then being processed offshore um, and being held in detention centres on some of the islands, so Nauru, Manus Island, and, and in this instance it's actually the film is about Christmas Island. Um, and the story is told a lot through metaphor. It's a really poetic film, actually, because uh, for a number of reasons, one of which being that even though there are interviews with 
some asylum seekers. Obviously, access to those people is really restricted because of the government um, in Australia and the kind of legislation that they've created to prevent people from telling the story means that the filmmaking is creative in how it kind of gets the message across. So I would really urge people to see this film. It's a really significant issue um, and it's really uniquely told. And uh, yeah, like I said, fantastic opportunity to actually talk to the filmmaker and the star of the film as well about the work that they've done. There is an interesting um, thing. I think we noticed it last year with documentaries. I mean, we finished the year with three identical strangers, which seemed to just come from nowhere uh, in my eyes and was a huge hit. Um, and then Free Solo, um, about the, the, the guys climbing up El Capitan. And the, it sort of feels like there's a bit of a resurgence in documentary in the cinema. Yeah, happening. I hope so. Um, I think it's, you know, it has been a little while since we've seen, like you say, attention for docs in cinema, but um, many docs are cinematic um, and this one absolutely is, you know, like I said, it, it sort of evokes the kind of physicality of the island, um, the way the crabs migrate, which for anyone who doesn't know, don't worry, you'll learn about that during the film, <laughs> um, and, and those sorts of things that, um, you know, do give it a, actually a cinematic quality, something definitely that should be seen on a big screen. Yeah, next up for me is Colette, which actually is interesting in relationship to the favourite and the favourite having, you know, three really strong central female performances and also being um, a, a costume drama. And Colette is about the um, French poet in the, the Belle Epoque, um, 1900s in France, um, played by, brilliantly, magnificently actually, by Keira Knightley. Um, and she, um, Colette, sort of scandalised Parisian society by in her bisexual behaviour. Um, there was a famously uh, uh, on stage, because she was a performer as well, on stage screen kiss with the woman that she was having a relationship with. And, you know, all these um, things that were, as I say, scandalising um, polite bourgeois French society. But she was a poet um, but, and a writer. And it was her husband stroke publisher who... Um, took all the glory, and it was only afterwards that she got the recognition. Um, so it, it's really interesting in bringing to light somebody who's vaguely aware of, and a period that I was sort of vaguely aware of, but just a brilliant, like the favourite, actually very modern feel to it. Um, although it's set in, in the 1900s, as I say. So the the, the script is is fantastic. Performances um, excellent, and I think you know what's interesting about both these films. Um, Yorgos Lathimos is the favourite, Wash Moreland's um, Colette is. I think these are female characters, uh, historical characters that actually speak to now. And I think it's, it's interesting in relationship to the kind of post Me Too, um, how actually contemporary it's dealing, they're dealing, they're kind of addressing contemporary issues. Yeah, I'd agree that these, both these films feel really modern, actually. I'm, I'm probably a little bit less, less enthused about Colette than you are, um, and generally a bit less enthused about Kira Knightley, although I will say that even for all my reservations, she is good in this film. Um, but what, what I do definitely agree with is the fact that these do feel like modern period dramas, which I think is really refreshing because 
Um, it's quite difficult. It, it's in, I think it's always interesting that we have this idea of what a period drama is anyway, where that kind of comes from, because actually there are numerous good period dramas. But um, when you mention that as a kind of genre, it does tend to turn a lot of people off because you tend to think that it's going to be a particular type of stuffy cinema. Well, exactly, because you think, well, you, you, it's, it's unfortunately that it, you get this term BBC costume drama and everybody sort of yawns, you know, and actually some of those dramas have been fantastic. <laughs> well, exactly. But that's there's, just, there's just an idea that there you know, these are going to be so worthy, does, but... But, you know. It brings that weight. I mean, I would say the favourite is, for me, the better of the two films, but they do both do it in a contemporary way. They do both use a kind of contemporary language. And I think, I think I mean that in terms of the dialogue, but also in a sense in the way that the filmic language is also quite contemporary. Um, and the, the art direction in both films, I think, is really strong. So, uh, yeah, definitely a good start to the year for mm. period drama. So we'll look forward <laughs> to seeing where that goes in the coming months. Yeah. Uh, also out this month is Beautiful Boy with Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet. And I found this film, I was really, I think it's quite heavy handed and manipulative, but it really worked on me. Mm. I found it quite affecting. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think part of that is to do with the fact that so it's about a young alcoholic um, and drug user and his sort of, sort of how those, those substance but, but, abuse. But from, a, from a very well to do, comfortable, Absolutely. middle class family. Yeah, yeah, and actually I, I just realised I've said alcoholic and, and drug user, but really actually it's drug use that the film yeah, focuses on. Yeah. Um, but that's well, addiction, isn't it? I it's guess. all about yeah. addiction, and yeah, the reason I, I think I found that so affecting is because, you know, I, I, I had a, a long-term relationship with an alcoholic, so I do feel like, you know, it does speak to addiction really well, and I have to say what I, what I thought was best about the film for all of the emotional manipulation that I think is mm. going on, and it is um, really a deeply affecting film. But what was really successful is that I thought the depiction of addiction was really spot on mm. um, and it, one of the things I always found frustrating with Requiem for a Dream for example mm. is that I, th I think that you know the the treatment of addiction in that film is uh, not frivolous but I you know I, I found it frustrating I don't think yeah. that it rings true whereas what I think is true in this film is that you can see how heartbreaking it is um, for both the person suffering the addiction and also the people mm. around them who are trying to find ways to help to make it yeah. better and just can't because sometimes it isn't as simple as it looks like it's going to be. And and for all of your goodwill and, and kind of love and all of the, the attention that you want to give someone and something, it can still be the wrong thing and not what they yeah. need. Uh, and I thought that came across really well in the film. I was actually quite impressed with Steve Carell's performance as well as obviously Timothy Chalamet, yeah. who does a really good job. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It was very... It was very moving, um, and I was—I've I, I, seen that as a bit sort of surprised because it's got those ingredients that you see oh, awards contender, um, you know, tick box performance, tick, tick box, yeah. um, you, you know, somebody sh you know showing you how drug addiction you know really affects the body as well, you know. So there's a kind of performance, and you think right, okay, this is an actor who's really do, you know, as I say, tick box for 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 the awards, but actually I found it similarly very uh, moving. I think that's part of it being a parent as well, um, seeing it from that side and how the the child goes out, out, say, out of your control um, because of course that's, you know, what's happening is becoming an adult and there's, there's a point at which, well, there's nothing, I, there's nothing you can do. Um, and he realises that. Um, but the way in which the addiction seeps in and then the parent trying to understand, and there are moments in it, as you say, where it, it could have gone down the kind of cliched route mm. 
Um, but it, it, it takes another direction, which suggests that the director, well, it doesn't suggest, it tells you the director absolutely knows what they're doing. And also the depiction of um, the caring father, which I thought was really brilliant because it is somebody who cares. It, it's not true that people who suffer addiction don't have people around them who care necessarily. Mm. They might do, um, but you, you as the person around them just might not be the right person to help mm. them. You might actually, even for all your well, you trying, might be the, you, you might be, you might be the pro- You might be the problem. Exactly, and I think <laughs> yeah. it's a really complicated, you yeah. know, area there. But I think the film explores that yeah. really well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, and yeah. and responsibly. Yeah. Then, as we hit February, we've got Lee Cheng Dong's new film, Burning. Yes. Uh, and we're very lucky, actually, because our own Sven's going to be doing a bit of a... Our Korean cinema expert <laughs> exactly. Sven's going to be doing a talk about that. Yeah, yeah, he's going to be talking about Lee Chang Dong's uh, uh, work, so you can yeah. dig deeper if that name yeah. doesn't mean much to you yet. And I, I thought what was great about Burning, um, as a film I'm very excited about, is there's, an, there's an, an idea of South Korean cinema, which is, you know, Okja, um, Snowpiercer, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is this kind of... Um, crazy, crazed uh, world of, sort of manicness that's that's going on. Whereas Burning is a much more contemplative piece. It, and it's, you know, it's set in the now, it's it's a realist film, you know, it's set in the now. But it, I, I, I thought it kind of mixes a bit of a thriller in there as well. But I, I, I mean, I'm sorry about this, but it's a real slow burner. It I, is. I, I, sorry I said that, <laughs> but it is a slow burner. Um, and, and I so enjoyed that because it's a world that you immerse yourself in and the relationships between the three the three protagonists. And I just really, really enjoyed entering into that uh, world and just felt, I mean, I didn't feel the time uh, at all. Yeah, I think the film actually that it reminded me most of, because there's a, there's a lot of films that I think it owes reference to, especially as it sets up what are potentially slightly misleading tropes of genre. So, you know, films like Memories of a Murder, films like Harry, He's Here to Help, it kind of starts mm. off with this idea that it might be like one of those films and you get yeah. this this sense yeah. of where, the cuckoo where, in the where nest are we going? Thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, but actually the film that it most reminded me of ended up being uh, Creepy, Japanese film that came out a couple of years ago, which sort of, and Harmonium is another one actually that it mm. sort of reminded me of because it's that yeah. kind of slow burn yeah. where you just never, re- you're a bit on edge yeah. but it's not quite a thriller. You don't really know where you're going with it. Yeah. Um, and I would say you that... You know something's going to happen. You know something yeah. is something, something untoward, untoward is going to happen. Is, is bubbling yeah. below the surface. So yeah, it's a slow burn with a, a, you know, just kind of be ready to be slightly on edge, I think, with yeah. this one. You know, looking ahead into February and beyond, um, I mean, the, the big title, Barry Jenkins' new film. I cannot wait for, if Bill Street Could Talk, for me, is already the the one that I've seen so far, the film of the year. So, I mean, I just thought this you was- You have one of your top films it's of ma- 2019 yeah. <laughs> already. Already in the bag. Yeah. It's absolutely magnificent. Yeah. Um, I com- I just loved this film. I think it's one of the most beautiful films and, and absolutely cannot, tell you enough times that you must see it on a big screen because mm. it is way too beautiful to be witnessed mm. any other way. Exquisite filmmaking. I mean, Barry Jenkins is really, I mean, I think outdone himself. I know a lot of people uh, probably think that's blasphemous because Moonlight's so uh, adored. But mm. for me, If Bill Street Could Talk was really fantastic. And, and it's two things. One is that the relationship between this couple that's depicted on screen is just really beautiful, mm. um, really successfully so done. Is black 
couple in New York in the 60s. It's an adaptation of James Baldwin's uh, book. Yes, and, and, and it really goes into the, the way the characters, really gives the characters time and space. And that's the other thing that I absolutely adored about this film, is the pacing of it, I think, is sheer brilliance. Um, it, it, similarly to Burning, in a way, is, is kind of a slow film, mm. in that it actually gives a lot of time mm. to everything that takes place on screen, in a way that a lot of films of its kind of ilk wouldn't necessarily do. Uh, a lesser filmmaker would just you know, match reverse shots and kind of move on. But Barry Jenkins really gives the characters space. And, and, and in that space, he doesn't just fill it with exposition or dialogue or unnecessary clutter or, you know, kind of overdo the mise-en-scene. He just gives us the space to contemplate these people and their lives mm. um, and their relationship. And there's, there's a scene in particular uh, with a, another character that comes in where he holds next to this man's face. Um, and when you see this scene, you will mm. know because it is one of the most beautiful things you'll see in cinema all year, I think. Uh, it's just, I think, exquisite filmmaking, really, really, really fantastic filmmaking, a deep understanding of how cinematic time works and how you give an audience the ability to really get to know characters on screen. Well, I think, you, you, you know, you really are seeing the influences, and he's said this, the influences of Wong Kar Wai yes. and Hu Shui Shuen. Um, and Claire Denis, he was a big fan, he's a big and, fan and, of and, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you, they are all about that cinematic space yes. and cinematic time. They understand it. And, and, and I think more than Moonlight, actually, you're seeing that. People talked about it in relationship to Moonlight, those influences. It's much more prominent in If Beale Street Could Talk. Um, yeah, I mean, just just wonderful film. Also in February, actually, a film that I, I I would say I can't wait for people to see. Although I also think that this is probably one of the emotionally most damaging films I've ever seen. But I cannot wait for people to see because I would love to hear what people think about it. Uh, and that's Capernaum. And the, this is really like the, the the film. So last year, the film that I found the most distressing was You Were Never Really Here. Fantastic film. This year, Capernaum is the film that I found uncontrollably. I was I was weeping uncontrollably to this film. I don't think I've ever been so deeply affected by something emotionally. And and that's because it is dealing with refugees, but it's dealing with children, really young children, uh, and a very young protagonist, and then also a, a, a woman it's in and the a baby. Middle, set in the Middle East, isn't it? Yeah. So, and it, I mean, in the terms of the complexity of the issues, I think this film is really brilliant at kind of highlighting those. I think there's a, a lot that you'll have to question after watching the film because mm. it does throw up lots of political issues, social issues, but also I think filmmaking practice. Mm. Um, so, so, you know, these people in the, who are performing in the film are not professional actors. They are, you know, people who are essentially part of, 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 of these very difficult situations. The film centres around a young boy who wants to sue his parents for having him. So um, it's sort of start already we've started. So that's pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, he wants to, to, to take takes them to court because they had him. He, th he thinks that they should be punished for this. And the, the question, it has a lot of questioning, therefore, obviously, ethically, morally, to do with, you know, what are the, what are the ethics of oh, I mean, a ton of things. Because of that, this is a very good film to have a conversation around, so we are going to do that uh, in our, our partnership with University of mm. West of England, um, with their film Philosophy and Politics Society. We're going to have a conversation in the cinema around this film. So... Do come see it. Keep all your questions very much at the forefront of your mind. I'm sure we'll have time to dig into 
all the sorts of implications that this really complicated film and very emotionally wrought film uh, throws up. So that's just for the start of the year. There are tons more films still to come. Um, we haven't even looked beyond kind of no, the first I mean, couple and, of months. And I think last year we, we, we said in the last podcast, we said looking back on 2018, it's that always that thing you think, oh, was it really a good year in cinema? Was it? And then, of course, there's 25 films that you're going home. Like, that's just, you know, that's just some of them. And it's, it's feeling that way for this year. Yeah, I'm very hopeful for 2019. I think if we're starting off this strong, then mm. we've got a lot to look forward to. And yeah, there's we'll be digging into them month by month as we go. So we look forward to discussing more of the titles with you very soon. That's all for this month.